Well, it's uh, official. Spring is here. I've got my white jeans on. <laughs> Anyone else in white jeans this morning? Excellent culture setting, you see. And uh, I was uh, actually going to wear flip-flops. Am I too close to the speakers? Okay, I'll work it out. Uh, yes, I was going to wear flip-flops, um, but um, I, unfortunately my toes are on ASBO at the moment, antisocial. I just need that, you know, that spring pedicure to get them out. <laughs> um, it's really great to be here today. And I, is this the first time that you've been in here? This is the first conference. This is the first. It's good. Um, and um, I, I, I heard that Graham was here. Uh, screwing on uh, toilet seats last night and, 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 and oh, and mirrors, yes, oh, and toilet seats. And toilet seats. Um, if you've, it, I just think it's a, it's amazing the transformation that um, you know, a bit of colour does to a place. And uh, I don't know whether you've seen out the back. There's an encounter room and all sorts. So it, I think we should just give everyone a round of applause who's been involved with this. It's just amazing. I know that you've uh, had two books recommended to you this morning, but I just thought I'd start with uh, recommending a, a couple more. Um, so we've got Journey into Love by Nicola Neal. Has anyone read this one? Yeah. Okay, so the reason why I chose these two is because they've been doing the rounds at our church, uh, this one last year, and it just it takes you on this incredible journey into knowing the Lord and the transformation that goes on. It's a bit like this place. It's been transformed. The lady who wrote this, who went through a massive transformation, and I really believe, actually, today there's going to be transformation. We were praying about it before, that we really felt that this is almost like a prophetic statement, this place, is the transformation that has happened in the natural is going to happen in the supernatural today. So uh, hands up who would like this, this book here. I'm going to go for someone in the back. I just wanted to run down the aisle like this. Um, and this other book, Dirty Glory, sounds a bit, a bit wild. Uh, I love wild. Um, this, I think, is the book for the moment. I think this is... Has anyone read this book? Hands up if you... And Beck, of course you can. <laughs> This is an amazing book. I think it's a culture changer. I think it is, I just feel that God has got it for us as this nation, this nation right now. And I think that everyone should read this book. I actually feel in myself that this is going to be kind of like a a catalyst for revival. Um, So you have to read this book. By the next time I come and see you, which is probably again in 15 years time, You've got to read this book, okay? So, and it won um, Book of the Year by CRT. It's fantastic. And, you know, just people all around the country, I've heard, are reading it. Um, very ecumenical book as well. So who would like this yes. book? Wow. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm going to come over here. Uh, well, you have to promise that you're going to share it. You're not allowed to keep them. You have to pass them on. Okay, great. Um, so you're probably thinking, who is this stranger? Let's come to see. Perhaps you'd uh, like to hear a little bit about me. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, I'll just I'll give you my testimony. Basically, I was brought up in a, a Christian uh, household. I have really happy memories from the days uh, that I was growing up. Mum and Dad were wonderful. And um, we went to church. I was brought up in North Wales, so it was um, a Welsh chapel. It was quite high church. You know, it was sort of three die-hard grannies at the front and, and us at the back, you know, and that was it. And it was, had an organ. It was very old, sort of old-fashioned-y type. And uh, it, was, it was pretty hardcore. Um, and in, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Sort of like, oh, we're getting to the end of the service. And, um, and for me, it, it just it didn't do it, really. It was a bit, well, frankly, it was a little bit sort of boring. And um, when I when I uh, I went to school in a little private school, and then uh, when I left school at eighteen, I joined the air force, and so I went from sort of jolly hockey sticks and midnight feasts and 
Imkanas and all those lovely things to literally overnight into the Air Force testosterone city. It was absolutely mad. But here I am to, to tell you my story, so I survived it. I can say in my 20s that I uh, worked hard and I played hard. My life was very um, colourful, shall we say. Um, and I probably lived a sort of classic <clears throat> hedonistic lifestyle. Um, and I had a great military career. I was, I was uh, flying all over the world and um, I was doing quite well. I was in the Air Force ski team. Don't tell the taxpayer that. Um, and it was, it was just highly charged, great fun. But I remember one day lying on my couch thinking, I've got everything. I've got everything in the world. I've got money, I've got men, I've got parties, I've got everything. I've just got all the, the best job. There is something missing here. I'm actually quite bored. And then I, and then for some reason, I just thought, well, God, if you're the missing link, can you, can you show me? And I kept repeating that, that prayer. And nothing happened to begin with, maybe even for about 18 months, two years. And then I got invited by a friend of a friend to a church in London, which is similar to Holy Trinity Brompton, if you know it. And, um, and I went in, I sort of peeled myself away from the TV and had my usual Sunday hangover. And I went into the, the church and there was something different about this church. Well, it had about 400 people in it for starters, and they were all sort of my age in, in my 20s. And there was a, a presence there. You know? And there was a prophetic word given at the front about people living a hedonistic lifestyle, and this wasn't really good for them themselves. I told them that. I was I coming, you know? And, um, and then when the worship started, he, pretty much everyone stood up and they worshipped. I was just looking around the room as we were worshipped, and I could just, you know, I could see it in the room, this, this connection with God. And I looked at them and I thought, that's it. That's what I want. That's what is missing. And then for the first time in my life, I heard God speak to me. He just said, come and follow me. But he said it in this really loving, accepting way. But I, I knew that I was missing out. You know, I knew there was something... This was it. This, this was the something that I was missing in my life. And at the same time, I was just repenting for what I had done with my life, that I had not given it to him. And so I was literally, for an hour and a half, I was just crying, crying, crying. People throwing tissues down the aisle and issue box down the aisle by the time I finished. And I walked out like bug-eyed Bertie, you know. And um, I literally walked in, not a be believer, and I walked out a believer. For me, there was no alpha, there was no discussion groups. There was a, it was just literally an encounter with God. And that's why I'm standing here today. I know God is real because I encounter God. And, um, and that's my story, really. And a, a, a couple of years later... I then went to what I would have considered at the time quite a happy, clappy church, um, and that's where I met this lovely lady here. <laughs> and, um, and like Beck said, she's um, been my friend since. And I just want to honour Beck and say, you know, I love you, my friend. Thank you for sticking by me. I think you know, those early days of transitioning from hedonism into a sort of more well, let's say less hedonistic lifestyle, and, and, then, and then growing in my Christian faith. You know, lots of people could have said, um, you know, just stay away from that person, she's a bit dodgy, and being disassociated with people from the church. But Beck stayed with me, and she loved me, and she took care of me. She discipled me as a friend. This is Christ's love in her for me. And I think that's a great testimony 
you know, for all of us, we, we can never judge. We can never judge. We can only just love. We're not, we're not the ones to judge, are we? And in fact, the more that we go on in our faith, the more we realize how separate, how different we are from God. You know, how, how he is so holy, if you like. And that we can't judge. We can never judge. And so thank you, my friend, for sticking with me. Yes. She did really well and didn't sort of descend into chaos with me. <laughs> and I think some of this, this back end of this talk anyway, is really a little bit about our journey. Because I found that even though I'm living sort of still a bit hours away, um, and Bex here and I'm in Wimbledon. God has been saying the same thing to us over these past few years. And I think that's really exciting, you know, that there's the same message coming through. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, I've broken the talk into two main parts. Um, and the first part is, you said adoption into the family. Someone said adoption into sonship. Debbie. Um, uh, basically what it means to be adopted and understanding our position as children of God. And then um, the last section will be about um, being in his presence and really knowing him as father. Um, but before that, I thought is what we do is go back to some of the basics of our faith. But before I do that, I think we should just pray. If we can just pray over this. Father, thank you that you are here. Yeah, Lord, you are the reason why we're here. We love you, Father. We love you. Love you. We want to thank you for the transformation that you have made in all of our lives. And Lord, we ask you to do even more than we can ask or imagine today would come by your presence. So welcome here. We want your presence. And we're not, as we've just sung, we're not, not living without it. Your presence <laughs> is all the difference. Lord, come. Be with us. Give us ears to hear. Yeah, Lord, we just take down the walls now. <coughs> and we just surrender our hearts to you again. <laughs> yeah, and we look to you, Jesus. We look to you. Thank you. Be in these words, Lord. Amen. Okay, so the first part of this talk is uh, called Why, Why Jesus? <laughs> well, Christianity is, is inclusive, but it's also exclusive. And it's inclusive because it's open to everyone, all over the world, no matter what background, what religion we have. It is open to everyone. God's arms are wide open to us all for every moment, every day. But it is exclusive in that all other religions, in some way or other, whether it's by ritual or by tradition or doing a certain thing or following a certain number of rules, says that you can get to heaven. You can make it to heaven. If you're good enough, you can make it to heaven. You can get there. But Christianity says totally the opposite. It says, as we know, that we will never, ever be good enough to, to get there by ourselves. So therefore, we need a rescuer, a messiah. And we know that God's rescue plan was first in love. It is the thing that he loves us, that that is the reason why he came, because he loves us so much. That is the baseline. And I really love this, this Bible verse. Very, very famous verse from John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, to explain this a little bit more, I'm going to do a demonstration. 
volunteers. Is there anything? They come up here and stand. So do I have two volunteers? Not so quick as with the book, eh? <laughs> come on. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Thank you. Yes. Okay. Right. So you are going to be God. Yeah. Very lovely. Don't go too far. You're really close. And you are not going to be God. And, and this, is a, this is a human being. Would you like to hold this? Thank you. Now, just imagine for one second that in this book are written, or is written, all the stuff that we have done wrong but not only that, all the things that separates us from God. So maybe pain and hurt, unforgiveness, um, shame, guilt, all those, just it's black because it's, it's, it's black for a reason. It's the barrier. It's the thing that separates us from, from God. But knowing God, knowing God as Father, knowing him intimately, it's a barrier. And what Jesus does being, if you can just hold my hand, that was it. Being eternally linked to the Father, Jesus takes this stuff and he, excuse me for a second, <laughs> he absorbs all of this bad stuff, he absorbs it. He takes it in himself and he eradicates it. And thereby, he creates an eternal bridge, an eternal link with the Father. An eternal link. The bridge through the cross has been made by absorbing all that stuff. I want to point out this point that... There is no salvation plan B. Okay, this is it. It's his chosen way for the whole of mankind. Two verses. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah? Now, if you guys could just join hands here. Outside hands. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and what Jesus does also is he gives us an eternal link then in a relationship with the Trinity. Father, the Son, and us with the Holy Spirit. Eternally linked in a relationship. The next one. And this is what Jesus said. He said, my father will love us and we will come. We will come to them and make our home with them. He is now in us. Thank you very much. I found that when I've been speaking on Alpha, really helpful visual demo that. And use it with all your friends. <clears throat> I also just want to say at that point, you know, he because we're in this love bond, he doesn't like change his mind. Suddenly, you know, once we're chosen, we're chosen. It's not like, you know, if we have a bad day in the morning, well, we're out of heaven now. And then, you know, things get better at lunchtime, oh, we're back in heaven. And then it goes wrong in the afternoon when the kids scream and you shout at them, oh, we're back in heaven. You know, and you could be like this the whole time, in and out of heaven. Uh, and it's not like that, because it is his, his permanent, his choice. Otherwise, it would be our works, wouldn't it? It's... Our cho it's his choice, not our works, okay? Uh, I think it's a bit like a check. When we're, if someone, if I give this to Beck, she accepts it, 
It is gone from my account into her account when she accepts it forever. I can't then take it back. It's gone. The legal transaction is done. It's completed. It's finished. It says paid in full there. Um, and the, the, the important thing is that, that she banks it, you know, that she accepts it, because it's not worth anything to her unless she banks it. Same with us. If we don't accept Christ, then we stand by ourselves. We stand by ourselves. I have the next slide. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our inheritance is sealed. It is guaranteed. Once you believe, that's it. Done. Forever. Amen. So what is the purpose of the cross then? Well, not too long ago, a really good friend of mine said, what was it that Jesus saved you for? What was the purpose of the cross? And he said, the reason that Jesus saved you is to have an intimate relationship with your father. When he said that, it was like a bullet to my heart. It was like, yeah, this is like, this is like the door. This is like the door, and then we're into the meadow, this vast, just unending relationship. Jesus won for us so many things. Healing, he won. He won freedom. He won freedom from fear. He won freedom from so much. But the pinnacle of it all, if you like, is that he won for us access to the Father. He won for us that relationship with the Father. And whether we realize it or not, whether we're believers here or not, the truth is that we're not here by accident like part of us kind of evolutionary process without purpose. We are here absolutely with a purpose. And when God created the whole of the universe, he had just one thing in mind when he created everything, and that was an eternal, loving relationship with me and you. That was his plan for the whole of the universe. The whole of creation is based on love for us and with us. At the centre of the message of the cross is a love relationship with us. So now we don't need a priest. We don't need, like they did in the Old Testament, we don't need to perform a certain ritual. We don't need to bathe ourselves. I've just been listening to Leviticus. And um, there's so many rituals they have to go through. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but now that's completely gone. We, because we have direct access to the Father. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who said that before? I think someone said it in the worship. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin, no shame, no guilt, no pain. The cross covers it all. And we say in Alpha sometimes it's a bit scandalous. The cross is scandalous. You know, if Hitler had turned around in his last minutes of his life and he'd repented, he'd be there. Because if he wasn't, or if that wasn't open to him, then the cross isn't the cross. Because Jesus' sacrifice covers everything, every sin. It's perfect. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. It covers everything. Neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The only separation that can happen is if we 
we put up the walls. I think Catherine's going to talk about that a little bit later. I just want to have a look at this relationship that we can now have with the Father as a result of the cross. What Jesus won on the cross can best be understood as the doctrine of adoption. Now, don't fall asleep just because I said the word doctrine. Stay with it. Now, for an explanation of uh, what biblical adoption means, we're just going to look at Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 4 to 8. You got it there? Yeah. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Jumping to chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is explaining, as Christians, we are chosen, adopted as his children. Once we were separated and now we are his children and we are co-heirs with Christ, with Jesus, kind of like as our brother and our Messiah, God as our father. And we are in his family. We now belong. We belong. We fit. How many of us have felt in the past, I felt this in the past going through school, particularly in our teenage years, don't fit. I don't belong, or you know, I just feel you know, I've got to fit into the culture. We now belong, we are His, belong in His family. We fit, don't try and fit into culture because you fit into God's family. My friends have just adopted this gorgeous little girl, and just for the sake of this example, I'm just going to call her Maddie. And the process of the adoption was firstly for them to choose Maddie, and then they went to court to become her legal guardians, and then finally um, they took her home to, to be in, with them as part of the family. There's a couple of points I want to bring out of this uh, example. Go to the next one. Chosen. My friends chose Maddie just because they chose her. They chose her because they wanted to love her. Yeah. She didn't have to kind of like perform for them or pass a test or do anything like that. They just chose her and it's the same for us. We are chosen. We don't have to do anything for God to love us. It's not about performance. It never has been. As sons and daughters of a living God, we are just loved because we are loved. I love um, this, this quote from Philip Yancey. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. He affirms us in our position as daughters, despite what we do. And I think a perfect example of this is when Jesus was baptised. We got the next one. A voice came from heaven saying, "You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased." At this point, Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't started his ministry, had he, when he was baptised? He hadn't healed anyone, he hadn't ministered, he hadn't performed any miracles, he had done nothing. 
But God affirmed him as son. You're my son. You, I am well. Same for us. In fact, I love this. I love this quote. Jesus performed, so you don't have to. Jesus performed, so I don't have to perform. His is the only performance in the whole of eternity that matters. Yeah. With my private school education, my military background, I have so struggled with this issue of performance, I can't tell you. How much of my life has been about performance? Oh, it is, it's just been oppressive sometimes. And with this performance-driven lifestyle, I've just ended up, well, with a whole bunch of securities. I had an eating disorder, bulimia, for 12 years. And just feeling, like I said before, that I didn't fit. And, and also this crazy lifestyle, hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, I've been slowly working through those issues. But, you know, it was only when I realized that God just loved me for just who I am rather than anything I'm doing or I've done, those, those things start to come away. And, I mean, crumbs, you know, if you're a, a bulimic, someone who's really ill with that, ill, so ill as being ill like five times a day sometimes, it's really difficult to get out of that. But God totally broke it free from me. And I now, thankfully, live in utter freedom from that. I know I am totally loved. You know, and alcoholics are told never to drink again. Well, you can't really do that with food, can you? You have to eat again. So I had to come to a place where I was completely, completely free of that. And he did it. He broke it off me. You know, and in the West, we live by, in this incredible approval-driven and performance-driven culture. It leads to so much pressure on us. Well, this microphone's doing a bit crazy stuff here. But, you know, we, we need to align ourselves to what the Father thinks of us and not what culture or others think about us because his voice is the only one that counts for all eternity. No one else's. We are valuable and we are significant and we can be secure in him. And this is the, the place of rest. You know, and uh, we can expect to have peace that the world just can't give. Do you feel like if you if you feel like you have to perform, then often you don't have peace. But God can give us peace. We are completely free. We are free to mess up. You have permission to completely mess up because it's not about your performance. If you're in a work situation where you're feeling the pressure right now, you are free to mess up. Okay? You are free. You need to take some risks. You need to lighten up. Right? You need to wear white jeans more often. Okay? <laughs> this is a prophetic statement, ladies. <laughs> Let's, let's just, we, we have got to get over ourselves. We've got to hear God's voice in this. So Maddie's name, her surname has been changed forever. She, uh, she belongs to my friends forever. So just, just for a moment, we're on identity, yeah. Just for a moment, think about, just in your own mind, think about where does my identity come from? What do people say I am? Or who do, who do people say I am? Perhaps you know, you're a mother or a great friend or you know, you're good at this or great at this particular job. Who do people say you are? You know, we can easily get our identity from what we look like, 
our homes, our jobs, our friendships, our successes, even our failures, our status, our marriages, our parenting, sometimes even our roles in church. Perhaps we don't even feel we've got an identity. But I've been learning that my primary identity does not come from me being the wife, the ex-military officer, the evangelist, the great mum, or anything else for that matter. My primary identity, your primary identity if you're in Christ, is his daughter forever. Daughter of the king, we heard that before. Daughter of the king. Really, daughter of the king. That's your primary identity, because that's the thing that goes with you for all eternity. You know, the more that we can grasp this, the more that we're going to be free, totally free. I met a friend, my friend, recently, and um, we were having breakfast together, and he he is an incredible guy. Okay, he's a, he uh, was a senior officer in the Air Force. He's a brilliant pilot, carrier pilot, so top end, top of his game. And he, um, brilliant mind, now runs his own business. And he has a family. He has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it, literally. He is incredible. And he sat there and he said, I can't cope. Can't cope. I'm getting old. My kids are leaving home. And he was had tears in his eyes. Not a Christian. His identity has been in what he's done in his life. And all this stuff is temporal. It's subject to change. It's not permanent. It doesn't go on forever. So he is fearful. If we have our hope in temporal stuff. We are very likely to be fearful. When we have our we're hope in God, then that is where our security comes from. We can be free from fear in that place. And then, again, we can take risks. Okay, intimacy. The third point through Maddie's example is the change in relationship she has, now has. I don't, know, I don't know anything about her past, actually, but now that she's in this new family and seeing the way that they love bomb her, okay, she is going to grow up to be one secure lady, knowing that she is loved for who she is just because she's in the family. And that, that's very different to the circumstances that she had in the past. And it's the same for us. We're in a new family, but we don't just get to call our Lord, Lord, we get to call him Dad, Daddy, Father. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus relates to God as Father. He called him Abba, Father, and Abba kind of is that relational term, Dad, Daddy. Now, we might think, well, that's very normal, you know, we call our, we call our Lord Father. I can just think for a moment the context of that. You know, that, at that time, the Israelites weren't even allowed to say the name Yahweh. They weren't allowed to say it. It was kind of like heretical. And there was Jesus saying, Daddy. That was one of the reasons why they killed him. Because he, was become, he had become familiar, or in their eyes, over-familiar with the Lord. But... He was, he is the son of God. And he gets to call him daddy. It's the same for us. We get to call him daddy. And he models to us how the father, he wants us to have that intimate relationship. He wants us to call him dad, daddy. He doesn't want us to call him just Lord. Yes, he is Lord. But he wants us to call him daddy as well. And he wants us to share every aspect of our lives with him. And it's in this place 
that we are truly satisfied in life. And that's why Jesus says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. We are satisfied when we have a relationship, when we're having that intimacy with our Father. Because there is no earthly friendship, no relationship, no family bond, no possession, no material thing, no particular home comfort, no amount of wealth that can fully satisfy our hearts because they are temporal and subject to change. But God is eternal. The relationship with our Father is eternal and it speaks into our hearts and it's not going to change. What changes ahead in this? Love of the Father. Love of the Father. So, for the last section of the talk, I just want to explore this phrase, knowing the Father. And I'm really excited about this because um, a lot of the stuff that I've written here, I was getting from the Lord. And then I was reading in that book, Dirty Glory. I was like, you're kidding. Some of it was like, word for word, and I really sense this is what God wants, particularly for you guys here this morning. So, the central message, as we know, as we're talking about today, is the relationship with our Father. Conversely, Jesus warns us against making a relationship into a tradition, or just, we do that because we do that. You know, we have to guard ourselves against that. But it needs to be real um, and that we need to know God personally rather than intellectually, yeah? And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who are evildoers. I think that's kind of quite scary, really. We have to pursue God relationally through Jesus to be able to access heaven, but then carry on in our faith as well, to go deeper with him. Pete, Greg, says in this book, and I think he expresses this really well, quite hard-hitting. Are you ready? The vision is Jesus. Everything else is less important than the man. The vision is Jesus, not Christianity, not prayer, mission, or justice. Not worship leading, or church planting, or evangelism. If you love Jesus, you'll do that stuff. You'll pray, and you'll worship, and you'll go to church, and you'll preach the gospel, but in doing all those things, don't lose the why. Don't get lost in the crowd. It might be healthier if we all stop being Christians for a bit. A week, a month, even a year. We're just too good. It, it has become... Habitual. We've been operating out of religious muscle memory for so long that we've got spiritual RSI. Urgent voices are calling us to abandon the familiar comforts of Christendom, to strike out into the unknown and rediscover the Nazarene. Now, Pete's not saying stop being Christians, but that we can all fall into that trap of religion, of doing things out of tradition. Rather than inspired or motivated through Jesus, through a love relationship with Jesus. You know what I mean? You know, we can all fall into that. He is the motivator. Now, it's really possible to read the Bible to pray, to listen to all our podcasts and downloads of various apps and all this kind of thing. Not even connect. You know, we can learn all this stuff. Yeah, read that book, do this, do that. But we're not 
connecting. We're not getting to know our Father. We might be knowing him, but we're not knowing him. Last year, God spoke to me really clearly through a passage in Ephesians. Just read that out. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's the bit that says, surpasses knowledge, that God really highlighted to me. And actually, Nicola says this in her book, Journey into Love, as well. It's a love that goes beyond our understanding. It surpasses our understanding. It doesn't depend on our understanding. It's to experience God. Like I encountered God when I walked in that church 18 or 19 years ago. To encounter God for ourselves. So the question is, for us all here today, are we encountering this love? Do we feel like we are getting to know the Lord? Are we kind of making progress in this area? Are we experiencing him regularly, even on a daily basis? Are we meeting with him? I've been, a, like I said, a Christian for almost 20 years. And I would say a lot of my Christian walk has not been like that. You know, that can be so disappointing and frustrating. You know, some of it's become quite mundane. And I think just recently, that God showed me the nub of the prob- what the nub of the problem is. And there may be some people, maybe many of us, who feel like that today. You know, it's got a bit, got a bit, frankly, vague, rather than encountering him, knowing him, getting to know him. Nub of the problem. <clears throat> this gave me a, a revelation. He said it to me a few times, and I've just really got it. He said, you've been heading north, not true north. You have been seeking after things like healings, salvation for others, miracles, all that good stuff, and they're fine and good in themselves. You have not been seeking me, that intimate relationship with me first. That stuff is good, but this is our call. The true north is our call. This is what is important, is the relationship. That stuff comes out of this, yeah, not the other way around. Along with this revelation, God gave me the phrase, seeking his face. Sometimes we gloss over that, we seek his face. Think about it sometimes, we seek his face. What does it mean, seek his face? Seeking his face. It's odd. It's not like something that we'd use every day, is it? And I looked it up, and it's in at least six places in, in the Bible. And it means knowing... God, intimately and personally. Seeking his face is all about being in his presence. Seeking his face is about knowing God for ourselves. Psalm 27 says, My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. And again in Psalm 105, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Always. God doesn't 
just want us to speak the things of him that he graciously gives us, his blessings that he graciously gives us. He wants us to seek him, just for him, because that's the only way he's going to have this deep, meaningful relationship with him. The exclusive relationship. And in fact, you know, the end point, eternity, is going to be that anyway. Eternity is not going to be about healing or um, evangelism and what have you. It's not going to be about that, is it? It's going to be about the presence of God forever. And actually, God's rescue plan for mankind has always been about restoring that which was lost in the Garden of Eden, that perfect communion with us. Restoring to us the relationship, that perfect relationship from the Garden of Eden. Rescue plan, perfect communion with us in eternity. The unrestricted presence of God. And in fact, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is known as atonement or at one meant because he restores us to being at one with the Father. At one with the Father. And when I'm I'm now when I when I pray now, when I when I come to God now, it's about seeking his presence and about seeking just him. And my prayers are on a different level now, we're in a different place. I don't feel kind of guilty because I'm not seeing this stuff happen. Or it's not working that way. It just feels right because I've got my priorities right. No? And in his presence is his glory. In the Old Testament, God's presence came in the form of a cloud in the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was a tent that they set up particular, with particular measurements and requirements in the desert. The Israelites did this. And God used to, to dwell there. He came and he dwelt there when it was finished. His presence came and his glory filled the place. And this is what it says in the closing passages of Exodus. It's like the pinnacle of Exodus, okay? Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. He couldn't get in. He couldn't go in because of God's glory was there. In his presence there is glory. And now, through Christ's at one moment, we are the new tabernacles. And he wants to have his presence dwell in us permanently. He wants to be in us. He's not going to come and go. He wants to be on us permanently. I think there's a really great prayer from the Bi a Bible reading app called Bible View, which I think really sums this up well. Lord Jesus, it is really good to spend time with you. There's a beautiful honesty in your presence. You are the light of the world. As we spend time with you, something of the brightness of who you are rubs off. The masks we wear melt before you. With unveiled faces, gaze into the glory of who you are. And your spirit transforms us into image bearers, people who catch your character and refer it to others. In seeking his face, we're able to refocus on Jesus, get our priorities right. And then we begin to carry God's presence and his glory to other people around. So rather than it just being a holy moment in the day, you know, if we're doing quiet time, you know, that inter interaction with God. As we spend time with God in his presence, then as we go away from that prayer time, we just carry his presence. You know, we carry it and we carry his glory. 
And I've, I've just realised that all the things that I've been seeking in my north rather than true north are actually found anyway in north. They're all found there. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. The more we seek his face, the more we will carry his presence. And that is what glorifies him. And I, I really feel that God wants us to prioritize him. He wants to do that as individuals, but also corporately. You know, I think there actually are many churches that are seeking north, not true north. You know, we have all been into churches where it's glorious worship and it's very pretty, very nice, but God's presence isn't there. Conversely, we've been into churches where God's presence is there. I've been going to the Father Heart Conference with Beck and I know a number of you have been going as well over the past few years, at King's Arms in Bedford. Boy, is the presence of God there. You know, <laughs> and the presence of God is there because they are seeking his heart. They're seeking his face. They're not employing some sort of strategy or technique or, let's, you know, how many people do we have in church this weekend and, and how many people can we get saved? They're just seeking him. They're seeking him and his presence. And out of that, comes the healing, comes the miracles, comes salvation, because their people go with the presence of God into the community, and that transforms community. And it is his presence that is the distinguishing factor from everyone else. We pretty much do, all of us, the same as everyone else in the world. You know, we, and I think Pete says this in his book as well, you know, we... We drive the same cars, we pretty much watch the same TV shows, we pretty much read the same books, we do all the same stuff, but it is the presence of God that marks us out that is different to everyone else, yeah? This is what Moses said to God, because he was acutely aware of this. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and all your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? God's presence is utterly key. It's utterly key. And how do we enter into it? By seeking his face by pursuing him and the knowledge of him. So I'm coming into land now. Just two small points. There's been quite a lot of talk in recent months, I don't know where you've heard this, about a coming revival. And I've heard phrases like, tsunami of his love associated with this. And I found it really exciting that after I'd received revelation about seeking his face, I found the use of it, actually, in a passage that is linked to revival that we probably know quite well. If my people, big if, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And in the past, I read this and hadn't even thought about looking at that and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And I also discovered a few weeks ago that seeking his face played a key part. In fact, it was the catalyst for revival in 1949, one of the greatest revivals in the UK, the Hebridean revival. You know, I've been a Christian for 20 years almost, and just now I have faith and expectation for a revival. I haven't had that before, but I'm getting it because I can see God starting to move 
in us with this, this, this message seeking his face. If our hearts are longing for revival and transformation in society, then it's really here that our hearts need to be. It's here where the journey begins. And my final point before we finish is this. The only thing standing between us and God the Father and an intimate relationship with him is who? Ourselves. Ourselves. Not about intellect or circumstances or even the devil. It is really only us that can prevent us from going deeper. And that is why the writer of 2 Chronicles says that we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. You know, it takes humility to seek his face. It takes humility to get on our knees before the Lord and to pray. We really need to let our walls down and to surrender to him everything of us. That takes humility. And Nicola Neal in this book that I handed out before says this. I believe that there are no shortcuts to truly knowing Jesus, but at the same time, there are no limits. The amount of time, the amount of him, sorry, and his love that we can know and experience. Wow, that's so exciting. The only person who can put limits on the depths of God that you can experience is you. I'm more and more convinced that as believers, we have really only scratched the surface of what it means to walk in a love relationship through intimacy with him. There is so much more waiting to be discovered and explored. So, in humility, let's, uh, let's dive into uh, to knowing God and seeking his face. Seeking his presence. Okay, so I'm going to put on a song now. Um, I'm just going to pray and then we'll put the song on. And then we're just going to see what God does. We haven't got any script here. And uh, we're just going to go with it. So, should we stand? I'm just going to pray first. Father God, again, perhaps we can just hold out our hands to him. Oh Lord, come Father, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you for your revelation. We can only love you because you first loved us. You love, love us. Your rescue plan was birthed, love for us. We stand here utterly loved. There's a song going around at the moment, reckless love. He's crazy in love for us. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your love. Lord, we just want to Look behind us now. Stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. The only thing that matters is you. Yeah. Lord, take down our walls. Would we want to surrender right now again our hearts to you, Father? Completely, Father, without without any anything getting in the way. We just want all of our hearts 
be meshed with yours, Lord. Yeah, just if there's something that you know, you just feel that's a something that's a sticking point. Let's just turn our attention to that for one moment and just say, okay, God, I give that to you right now so that there is nothing in the way. Whatever that is, Lord, we just place that, Lord, at the foot of the cross right now. We surrender ourselves again completely, wholly, without, without limit, Lord. We're wholly, completely yours. Yeah, and Lord, we come right now. Come, Lord, seeking your face alone. There's no other priority before you. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. You are our priority. We want more of you. Father, we want more of your presence. Lord, we want an intimacy. We want an intimate relationship. We know, we want, we know that heaven, that's going to be our position in heaven, Lord, that your kingdom is here now on earth. Your glory has come to earth. Your presence is here now. Yeah, Father. Lord, we want to we want to know you more. We want to know your presence more right now. We worship. We want to know your presence. Lord.